Okay. Ready? We'll do. A, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do. But you got to do the ands. One and two and three and four. That. Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Together, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Nope. Here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and. Oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. All right, here we are in another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. How you doing, Bob? I'm not okay. I've got a bit of a cold. I actually got a cold... Last week, and I guess I'm over the cold now. I have this like cough that won't go away, and mm-hmm. it's bu- it's such a bummer because I've had I've had a cough like this before in the past. I went to Scotland a few years ago, like three or four years ago, and uh, and I say a few years ago. I think it was like ten years ago, actually, which no, technically is a few, I guess. I think it was 10 years ago, but I swear to God, I thought it was like three or four years ago, maybe two or three, but it was 10. Yeah. That's not good. Anyways, I hooked up with, with a lovely Scottish lady, uh, and then just immediately assumed I had AIDS because I had this cough. I came back to the States with this cough that wouldn't go away. And I, I told my doctor, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've got AIDS, but cause I made out with the Scottish lady and he was like, you don't have AIDS. And I was like, well, run the test bitch and he ran the test and i had aids no i didn't have aids i'm aids free that was a joke that was my first aids joke of the show yeah killed um let me ask you this when you have like a throat thing or a cough or whatever as a singer does it ever does it affect your performances yeah it does what do you do what does it what does a singer do because I never have to worry about that. I can always still sing BGVs if my throat's kind of fucked up. But what do you do if the whole show is the focal point is your voice? What does the whore do when her pussy's all gunked up and she's got to do a gangbang? She just fucking pros it out and fucking opens them legs and let lets that syphilic gonorrhea action flow through the room like a goddamn red tide. Are you talking about your Scottish lady again? <laughs> No, but man, I'm telling you, that Scottish accent will make any lovely lady less lovely. This is basically what a Scottish accent sounds like. It's so true. I did a gig in Scotland, and after the gig, I was talking to a father and son for probably a solid 15 minutes, just nodding and smiling. I had no clue what they were saying. And at one point, the son was like, you don't know what we're saying, do you? And I was like, I do not. I do not understand you guys. Yeah. It's no joke over there. It's no joke. But here's what the Scottish love to do. They're ready to fucking party, dude. Absolutely. I don't give a shit. They're like the Alabama of England, of Great Britain. Yeah, people like to party pretty hard in Alabama. I saw I saw and witnessed and participated in some really wild shit before I was like 14 years old. And that's just, that's Alabama. My favorite Alabama quote is, get off me, dad, you're crushing my smokes. Mm, Yeah, you've done that joke on this podcast before. Well, it's my favorite one. Well, everyone needs a favorite something. I was going to say, speaking of favorite stuff, our favorite emailer, EOB, has written in an email to us. 
Shall we read it? The original ordinary bastard. <laughs> well, that's O-O-B. Oh, sorry. The extraordinary <laughs> original bastard. You are a songwriter, right? You do words are your life, correct? I don't know. I man, I got this cold. I'm getting over a cold, so who knows what I'm going to say. I Here's the problem. The cold's not the problem. The problem is I can't sleep because I'll wake up coughing and then I, uh, so I my sleep's been interrupted real bad for a week. Well, here's the deal. Uh you can email us bobandclint at gmail.com. We'll read the email and usually the emails will spark all sorts of ridiculous banter and we're going to do that right now from probably our most uh, avid listener and writer in or EOB. He says, hey man, just finished episode 28, fun episode. Please to learn of the timely resolution of the poolside conflict when uh, Laura broke the glass out there and that no little feet were harmed in the making of the podcast. <laughs> also intrigued by Clint's past life encounter with Renee Zellweger, as I too have had the distinct pleasure of a past life encounter with Miss Renee. About 10 years back, she and I were both working out at the same gym, just she and I. He says, no penthouse foreman or loot and regrettably our looks contain no centuries. But it was a pretty cool encounter. She was a really sweet and friendly lady and put in one of the most full-on intense workouts I had ever witnessed. And he says, I'm writing in reference to one of your listeners' comments, questions regarding the parameters protocol of fan interactions and behavior and thought it begged exploring the reciprocal. In my most recent past life, I was a member of a 30-person crew that lived and worked aboard a 20, uh, aboard a 283-foot, $250 million private yacht owned by a prominent Hollywood personality affording me many ridiculous, surreal moments and a daily routine rife with dubious brushes with fame. I like the way this dude writes. He could write a book. He says, and, though the, and through this, I can tell you the exact same is true of the opposite. Whenever having met or spoken to a person, uh, he's basically saying, you know, we were like, when you need to meet a fan, you want when they walk away for us to be like, they were cool. He's saying that that's the same for when these people meet us. You know, they, they have similar trepidation and probably more so about you than me where they want the experience to be good. And uh, he's saying that, by and large, in this email, most most celebrities were easy to talk to and that he had, had a good experience. I think most people would be surprised at how congenial and easy it is to talk to you. Well, yeah, because, I don't know, I, I'm, I get excited when people recognize me, so I, I like it, you know. But, I mean, if you're Clint Eastwood... And you've been doing it for 50 years and you can't go anywhere without people hassling you. I can understand, especially if you're having an off day, like if, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, dating Calissa, what's her name? Calissa Lockhart? Calista Flockhart? Calista Flockhart. That's Harrison Ford, right? Oh, I think she got passed around. She was one of those chicks that liked old dudes. So like all the old dude guys like took a turn at her and then somebody ended up with her. Wow, that's, that's horrible. That's a horrible way to put it. Yeah. And she had like she had like serious like she weighed like two pounds. It was real I bad news. I I've never been attracted to like tiny little thin wisps of women. That's not really my thing. Well, let me let me circle back real quick. That EOP has lived a life. I like that guy. Dude, he, he writes some pretty funny emails. Yeah. Anyways, um, was there, there was no question, right? He was just kind of like, I felt like well, we were, I was listening to the EOB podcast there for a second, actually. 
Yeah, well, believe it or not, I even truncated that email. Let me read you another one that he wrote. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe there's a, there's a question here, I believe. He says, I can't believe you read another one of my emails on the air, ha, because we jokingly said he writes in too much, which of course isn't true. We love anyone to write in and take interest in the show and ask us fun questions. Um, let's see here. He says, a few questions, suggestion topics for discussing on further episodes. Here we go. He says, Bob, dude, I see you're slated for the Kiss Cruise in November. <laughs> I can imagine that'll be a fantastic demographic for you to tap into. They will fucking love you. Can you tell us a little bit of how that came to be? I... Honestly, I myself am curious about this. I'm a huge Kiss fan, and I know that you've worked with Doc McGee before. And I don't think I even knew you were on the goddamn Kiss Cruise. Congrats. That's going to be fun. Well, they ask me every year to be on it, and every year I say no. And then ah. this, this year they just offered me so much money I couldn't say no, so I'm doing it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I worked with Doc McGee. He's Kiss's manager, um, and I, I, I had a great time working with him. We were together for four or five years, and... Uh, so we're still on good terms. And, uh, and back in the day when I was, you know, when he was managing me and I was a much younger man, every time I, you know, come into Los Angeles and play, uh, he'd always be there. And Gene Simmons would always be there from kiss and, uh, you know, picking up ladies and, and, uh, I don't know. I've just kind of always kept in touch with him. So, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of cruises, like the idea of getting on a cruise. The reason I don't like cruises, you, you, you're stuck. I mean, you can't go anywhere. I guess you can go in your room, but, uh, it's a no, little it's daunting. Very, I can tell you, I've played some, several of these, uh, like I've done the rock boat and all this shit. And, uh, it is odd because you are just roaming the boat with like 2000 fans and you see them everywhere you go. Which can be nice, I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. But from in my experience, people are pretty respectful. Are you taking the band with you, or is it a solo gig? It's just solo. I think you're going to have fun. Let's see. He has another question about your art. He says, I read an article a while back that you were working on some large-scale sculptures. You seem pretty stoked about it. Can you tell us a little more about them and where we might be able to view some of those works? Um, you can see a bunch of my work at Yard Dog. Uh, which is a gallery in Austin. If you just go, I think it's yarddog.com or yarddoggallery.com. But if you Google search Yard Dog Gallery Austin, it'll pop up. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff on the website. And then if you're ever in Austin and you're down on Congress, that's a cool area just to walk around in anyways. You can walk in there and check out some art. What about these sculptures? Uh, yeah, I just do these big sort of like giant wooden dick things. They look like dicks. They look yeah, like... I've seen those dildos not dicks like i don't put like veins in them and like you know i don't put the mushroom cap on them they're really cool i remember i was i was hanging out with you a lot when you were making those you what did you call it did you just call it wood is that what you called it uh i mean they're just yeah they're just wood sculptures but i mean the first if you just have one of them they you know they're obviously very phallic in that they look they're shaped like a a dildo or whatever just shaped like a you know, they're rounded on top. But as soon as you put a few of them together, they do start creating ideas in your head as an observer. You start making assumptions about their relationship to each other. And so they work on a lot of levels. I don't want to bore you with. No, I agree. When the, when when they're clustered together, they're evocative and interesting. And they're some of my favorite pieces of art you've ever done. 
Um, he says, Clint, please tell us about your favorite guitar and favorite skull in your two respective collections. I understand you've got a skull of Lestat in your studio. Uh, yeah, this, the, uh, a fan made me a, uh, a bitchin'. It's a very real-looking skull that has fangs hey, that she calls Lestat. Yep. I, I, I don't want to inter- interrupt you, but can you hold on? Can you, before you start the story, hold on. Let me just get comfortable here. Zip. Go ahead. Man, are you just going to, you're going to do that joke on every episode now, aren't you? <laughs> we need like an official zip jingle. We do need one. It happened on one of them zippity doodah days. Now that's the kind of day. When you can't open your mouth without a song, jump right out of it. Zippity doo dah, zippity My oh my, what a wonderful day! Plenty of sunshine in my way. Zippity doo dah, zippity Maybe I'll write one. Zip. <laughs> <laughs> That was like a zip, and then your dick pops off into outer space. That's what that sound was. If you're like a little Lego guy, blip, you're like, zip, uh-oh. <laughs> Whoops, my dick popped off into space again. My little Lego dick. My little Lego, you, I need I need a, a metaphysical net to catch my Lego dick when it pops off in the Andromeda. I need a metaphysical net to get my Lego dick. Hell Yeah. <laughs> That's the new um EOB, you're EOB, I'm not EOB, you're not EOB album. Yeah. When does it drop? I don't know. Gotta when ask does it EO- drop in space? Gotta ask EOB. Uh my favorite skull is this Lestat skull that a fan made for me named April Slaughter. You can look her up and buy these badass skulls. People give me these skulls. I'm not really a skull guy, but people give them to me. My favorite guitar is a nineteen eighty one ES three thirty five. Um, and then I think that is the end of EOB's last e- Oh, he asked me a Dave Matthews question, but I'll just answer him privately about that because no one wants to hear me pontificate about the Dave Matthews band. I do. Well, he asked if I spend any time with this record called Away From The World, which is a record he made in 2012 with Steve Lillywhite. It was largely panned. He doesn't play any of it live. It seems as if he hates the record. I actually really love it. I think the songs on there are beautiful and... It's weird when an artist ignores a whole piece of art in their catalog. Do you have a record that you just absolutely ignore, that you don't touch any of that material when you play live? Yeah, there's a couple of records. Which that, ones? Uh, well, that Burden of Proof, I hardly play anything off that record. And um, there's, a co- there's a record I put out called I've Seen the End of the World and It Looks Like This, which was just a bunch of demos. I put that out in the early 2000s, and I hardly play any of those songs. And, I mean, to tell you the truth, I mean, I've got, what, 10 albums now so yeah you can't play hardly anything from those from the albums no matter what and um i mean i'm i want to play some stuff that people know but i really am also interested in playing new material um for for my audience as well so yeah but i i get like dude i've made an i've made two albums that i never released like I paid for them, made them, never put them out because I didn't like them. What are those albums? One's called The Bullet and the Gun. I made it with this guy, um, Gerf Morlix, who makes, he made like a really great record with Slade Cleaves and another one with uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard. He's made a bunch of records with those guys, actually. What's his name again? Uh, Gerf Morlix. 
Gerf Mor- He sounds like the guy who makes the Lego dick that pops off into space. Gerf Morlick. He's like an Americana guy. He was he like dated Lucinda Williams for a while. He's been in Austin for a long time, and he's really into that Americana scene. So I made a record with him. And really what I wanted to make was like a Tom Waits style record, but I ended up making sort of this sort of countryish Americana record that I just, it just, I, I, it wasn't horrible. I just didn't want to put it out. Um, it honestly and, sounds pretty good to me. Uh, it's not bad. I mean, I've, I've lent it to people to listen to and they're always like, oh, you should put this out. Um, but I, and maybe I will at some point. And then I made another record. I, I, I recorded the, fuck all you motherfuckers soundtrack with my band at the time. And I didn't like the way that turned out at all. And I didn't, we just recorded all the tracks. And then when we started mixing it, I was like, oh, this isn't working. I'm not going to finish it at all. Didn't you make a Texas bluegrass massacre record? Oh yeah. I made a Texas bluegrass massacre record that I, but I kind of, I guess I never put that out either. Yeah. That never saw the light of it. Do you remember when we were recording, uh, I, I don't know if it was King Kong or Burden of Proof, but we had like an extra day. It was actually Burden of Proof because we went in to do Unpromised Land and we recorded like eight of the rocker songs. We were going to call it Super Shit. You remember that? Oh, yeah. I love those recordings. That wasn't like a full record. That was just like we had a day in the studio. But that that little because we did. What did we do? We did uh, The Beer, uh, Set Yourself Free. What all did we do that day? We did a ton of cool shit. Yeah, we did like, it was eight songs. What what happened was we went in to record two extra songs to kind of, because the the record didn't really have anything that we could like promote to radio or something. So we went in to record two tracks that we thought might have a shot at radio. And then while we're in there, my manager at the time was in there and we're like, hey, since we're in the studio, let me play you some songs that are probably going to be on the next record. And we played, we just ran through like, six or eight songs and they were cool versions. And then Dwight kind of edited them a little bit and, um, and they ended up turning out pretty good. And I think we used some of that actually for the next record, which was King Kong. And, uh, like we used some of the bass tracks, some of the drum tracks. I think some of your guitar, we used the unknown and uh, ready. Let's roll. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. That's fun. So you're just sitting on several records. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting on, I'm sitting on a thousand songs that have never right. seen the light of day. That's why I do that song club, right. which is my other podcast, which is also a Patreon thing. So I can get those things out because otherwise they'll just be on my computer. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about like guys who like release everything, they end up releasing a bunch of shit. That's not very good. So right. you kind of, you, yeah, hopefully if hopefully you're not releasing everything, I think. I mean like Paul Simon is famous for putting everything that he's ever written out there. And as you know, in addition to writing some of the best songs that have ever been written, he puts them right next to some real turds on those records. It's crazy. You know, and I agree with you. And Prince Prince was like that also. Oh yeah. Just did not have an editor, you know, didn't have the editing tool in his tool belt. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those records, like a lot of Paul Simon records, you could have taken three of those records and made one Graceland, like for every three records. But I mean, he did it with Graceland and he did it with a couple records. The other guy that was horrible was David Bowie in terms of like just putting out real crap. Yeah, I agree. If we have any David Bowie freaks listening, they're going to contest that for sure. Because the 
that David Bowie freak is a unique person. Well, I, you know, I think David Bowie has 10 of the greatest rock songs ever written. And then he's got 200 of maybe the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) It is a weird ratio with him, man. Suffragette City was on like in some grocery store the other day I was in. I was like, God damn it. The song is so cool and weird. Yeah. His greatest hits is so good. Like, how did he even write those songs? But then you're right. Like, trying to burn down a full record can be really a really challenging listen. With no, him. you have to kill yourself. If you get through a whole David Bowie record and don't kill yourself, then there's then I then don't you're know. Ar- you've already been dead inside. You're dead inside already. You're, yeah, you're already dead. So that's a good test. Listen to an album. If you don't kill yourself at the end, then you're dead already. Then you're a ghost. So yeah, sorry. You also have the benefit of you play all your new shit every Monday. Right. So you get to see what really works. And I know that whenever we've been touring, whatever the newest shit you're writing, we'll, we're playing that on the road too. So you get to sort of whittle it down. But even then, you still write so much shit. Like, you know, 15 songs go on a record, and you're going to write how many in a year? At least 52. So how do you how do you whittle them down? I mean, now I hardly any songs make it into the live rotation. I mean, I do all of them at Saxon, but I'll just do them once maybe and then never do them again or maybe twice and then never do them again. And then the weekend shows or the touring shows, it's so rare that that I write one that makes it in. So I just wrote one last a week ago that's going to be in all my shows, which I'm excited about because it's been months since I wrote something I was happy with. So. Cool. What's the deal with that song? What is it? Uh, it's just a song called Thor, and it's about like <laughs> Thor, the god of thunder, like settling down and being like a family guy and like trying to put his like, you know, Thor days behind him and just be like a dad. And uh, wow, it's pretty cool. I like it. It's a fun song. I do miss hearing your new songs. I miss hearing everybody's work. That was a fun part of it. Well, I mean, you want to be in a group where there's people that are writing songs that you're being where you're getting your ass kicked. That's the ideal. Like if there's people in the group that are kicking your ass, it's wonderful. And if you're the one that's doing the ass kicking, it's not that wonderful. Yeah. But I have always been in groups where I'm getting my ass kicked. Another email, Christopher Pixley says turd Bob's theory of time. Gravy, Bob is 100% right that almost everything we know is based on trusting what we've been told. And that's as simple as it goes. I don't know what he just said, but it sounded like he likes what I said. So I thank you. <laughs> We're here back from old Tiffany Claypiss, who had the, <laughs> who had the, uh, who, who luckily and amazingly cosmically got your guitar pick stuck to her sweaty shin. Do you remember her? Oh, how can I forget? Hold on. She says, to set the record straight, my last name is pronounced Kleipus. Growing up, it was... Uh. I think Kleipus is going to I knew it couldn't have been Kleipus. Oh, my God. Kleipus. I think Kleipus is going to stick. She says, I almost don't even want to paint a truer image of my actual shin since your mental images were so good. However, Bob's representation of my shin is most definitely more attainable than Clint's. Unfortunately, I'm not long-shinned, tan, or ripe with volleyball abilities, but I always shave for a Bob show. 
I'm a five-foot redhead with blindingly pale skin and short shins, which made the landing even more shocking. The only reason the public was subjected to my pasty lower limbs was because clearly it was so damn hot outside it could make a Texan's shin sweat. Thanks for giving me a few more good laughs about this silly story. Signed, Tiffany Klapis. It's so weird because my uh, son's Little League, uh, the name of their Little League team was the Short Shins. <laughs> right, right. Well, I had a band uh, in high school called Clint Wells and the Short Shins also, so. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's so weird. It's kismet. It's just such a, it's oddly common name. It's a common coupling of words. Should we do some recommendations? Uh, let's recommend some shit. What, what do you got for me? Dude, I'm reading a book now that is blowing my mind. It's called Empire of the Summer Moon, and it's a nonfiction book about the Comanches. Wow. And it's incredible. Like, I, one of my favorite books of all time is, is Lonesome Dove. Oh, yeah. And and there's a lot of uh, Comanche action in Lonesome Dove. And uh, this book is backing all of that up. Like, it's so crazy like they were such fierce like amazing badasses just that whole time period and it's all it, the all what's cool about it is like i live in the hill country in austin and all of it ta- like a lot of it takes place in this area this is kind of where they were coming in and killing and raping and raiding and then going back off into the great plains it's an amazing book i i can't recommend it highly who enough. wrote it who knows? Uh, an a, Indian. A human being. I was going to say, like, Larry McMurtry really struck a chord with lo- people all over the world with Lonesome Dove. But I do feel like Texans hold it in a higher esteem because it's it just seems to be of that place, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, if if you're if you're reading a book and it's like you can look out your window and that's where it happened. Right. right. Like, it's it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, if, if this, if the Comanche book was set in like New York, it wouldn't maybe be as cool. It would still be pretty cool. You know, what's interesting about you mentioning this book is the book I was going to mention that I've gotten hip to is Robert Caro's. Uh, he's written a four out of a five plan book series on Lyndon Johnson. Have you heard of this? Uh-huh. It's called the path to power. It's like the series about Lyndon Johnson. This is all I know about that guy. I heard him interviewed on Conan O'Brien's podcast mm-hmm. And that motherfucker had old man mouth, dude. <laughs> he was like, it was the word, like, it, like Conan would ask him a question like, eh, what, blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, like, I was just like, oh my God, I was so gross. Well, luckily you don't have to hear him talk uh, with the books, but what's crazy about him is. It's too, it's too late, dude. If I read that book, I would just hear him. You just hear old man gums. mouth the whole time. Uh, I couldn't get over it. What's crazy, though, is like Lyndon Johnson's from Texas, the Texas Hill Country. And so it's a lot of Texas stuff in the first book. He wrote the first book in 1982. He didn't write the second book until eight years later. He didn't write the next book until 12 years later. And then the fourth book was 10 years after that. So he's basically devoted his whole adult life to cataloging the life of Lyndon Johnson. Well, maybe I could read the first few books before he got the old man mouth. <laughs> if you imagine just a nice 1982 uh, Robert Caro, maybe you can have a good time. Maybe imagine him as David Hasselhoff reading it. Or whatever mm. whatever man's voice Hold you like. On. Hold up. It happened on one of them zippity-doo-dah days. Now that's the kind of day when you can't open your mouth without a song jump right. Out of it. Zip. I like 
that that was a little quiet sip. Well, it's for David Hasley. Hasley Hoff. Hasley. Her suggestions this week were literary and not just some more HBO television. I have another recommendation. You better hurry because we are almost out of time. Uh, I want to recommend that series Fleabag. I tried to watch it when it came out like two years ago. It's on uh, it's on Amazon Prime, I believe. I tried to watch it and I couldn't get through it for some reason. And then a friend of mine recommended it and I was like, okay, let me check it out. And I just watched the first two series. The second season just came out. And it is so incredible. She kind of reminds me of, she's sort of a British Lena Dunham mixed with a Bo, Bo, Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Can't stand either of them. Like she, she's such a genius. She's a great actress and she wrote the whole series and it's incredible. I, uh, incredible. I'm not trying to shit on what you're recommending. That sounds interesting. I'll check it out. But you just named two people that I absolutely cannot stand. So. Have you watched uh, The Girls? I loved the first season, but then it just started... The second season almost gave me a fucking heart attack. And then just her in the press and her her bullshit annoys me. She annoys me. Well, I, I loved the whole thing. I mean, it 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 had its... It, you know, it was hot and cold. It, it wasn't great all the way through, but as a whole, I loved Girls. And did you ever watch 8th Grade? I watched 8th Grade. And you didn't like it? Eh? No, I loved 8th Grade. Oh, I thought you hated that guy. I do hate that guy. He made a good film, but I hate his stand-up, and I hate how talented he is. That's my own problem, though, but, you know, I know he wrote it and directed it, and I thought that was really impressive, but that didn't seem to have any, after watching his stand-up, 8th Grade did not seem to have any of his personality or flavor. It's almost like anyone could have directed it. It was just like a nice, well-directed drama about a kid. I loved it. I, I, it was one of my favorite movies of the year. I'm in awe of that guy. And then I heard him interviewed uh, by Terry Gross and he's so smart and so aware of what, why that movie works. And, um, and he's so aware of those comedy specials that you hate. Like he's so aware of why those worked and why he's like almost embarrassed by them now. And he's 28 and he's embarrassed by something he did five years ago. And seven years ago. Yeah. That's that are huge, huge hits. Like it's so well, great. Him be, like I don't him know. Being embarrassed by them makes me dislike him even more. I don't understand how people are that smart. It's crazy. It makes me so jealous. I wish I was smarter. We are out of time. All right. Well, you can email us, bobandclint at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. For all of you who've left the reviews, we're up to like 72 positive reviews. And I was thinking we might even do a fun thing where we read like one review per show because some of them are quite funny. Cool. Let's do it. And uh, Starting starting next time. Farting next time. That's my Hold that's up. my parting joke. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. All right. All right. Peace. Peace. <laughs>